So spring has well and truly sprung here in the British Isles, with plants popping up all over the place and lambs gambling around in the fields. And if you're a follower of Greek myth, then you'll know that we have Persephone to thank for this renewal of spring. But how much do we really know about this dual deity, who's both goddess of spring and queen of the underworld? Let's find out in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. Here in the UK, we are now into week four of our lockdown and I've lost all track of time and I'm not even 100% sure what day it is anymore. But there we go, these things happen. I'm going to just swiftly jump straight into this week's episode because I don't really have anything else to add, except it has been rather nice seeing all the different plants and whatnot popping up in my garden. The newest arrival are some poppies. We've had had these the last couple of years, but they've started to actually form seed heads now, so they'll hopefully be blooming in the not-too-distant future. And the bluebells are starting to come up, although it's quite funny because they're kind of coming up in a Mexican wave. So they all came up nearest the house, and then they're gradually popping up, like, literally section by section, which is quite funny. But why am I talking about plants? Because we are talking about the goddess of spring, Persephone in this week's episode and there's quite a lot to get through and I just thought it would be quite nice because we are in spring to actually talk about her and her role as goddess of spring but also queen of the underworld and maybe have a look at some of the stuff that she did when she became queen of the underworld because that's when she's really quite interesting. So as we're currently enjoying the bountiful spring here in the northern hemisphere and let's face it we are all trapped in a form of underworld Let's find out a little bit more about Persephone. So the myth of Persephone, as we're generally told it, runs as follows. So in Greek mythology, Demeter, goddess of the harvest, gave birth to a daughter, Persephone. And in the Roman version, she's called Proserpina instead. Now, Persephone was the most precious thing in the world to Demeter and the goddess doted on her daughter. And as all the figures in Greek mythology seem to do, Persephone grew up to be beautiful. Many of the gods wanted Persephone's hand in marriage, but Demeter, however, wanted Persephone to stay chaste, like Athena, Artemis and Hestia. So Demeter decided, because Persephone was obviously drawing quite a lot of attention, to hide her away to keep her safe. Unfortunately, no one knows what Persephone wanted for herself, so we can only go off what the myth says. And if only it were that easy, because it seems that Persephone's rather incandescent appearance had drawn the eye of Hades, god of the underworld. Now, Hades knew that Demeter would never let him get near Persephone, and because the gods rarely ventured into his domain, he basically decided to wait until a day when Persephone was out picking flowers with her handmaidens to just take her for himself. And the handmaidens are important to Greek myth because they then go on to become the sirens. If you're interested in them, there is the episode about those from sometime in 2019. I can't remember the actual episode number, but it was about July time. So if you look for the episode about why do the sirens get confused with the mermaids, you'll find more in that one. But back to the story. 
Persephone goes gambling off her head and unfortunately becomes separated from the handmaidens. And some versions of the myth say that she was picking flowers and that either daffodils, so presumably Narcissus had already met his untimely end to become the daffodil, or they were violets. And in the hymn too to Demeter from the Homeric hymns, Hades himself has actually created a marvellous radiant flower in the meadow to essentially act as bait. So when Persephone reaches for this plant, Hades seizes his chance. A terrible roar fills the meadow and Persephone freezes, completely terrified by the noise, as you would be. The ground splits open in front of her and this enormous chariot pulled by black horses clatters into view. It tears past Persephone and in doing so, Hades leans out and grabs her and the chariot thunders back into the cleft in the ground, which seals up behind them, leaving behind no trace as to where Persephone has gone. Demeter, when Persephone doesn't turn up, is understandably distraught and she actually gives Persephone's handmaidens golden wings to help them scour the earth looking for her. Now, for her own part, Demeter herself turns to Hecate, who's the goddess of witchcraft and crossroads, and she's got two torches that can essentially illuminate anything. So together, they hunt high and low looking for Persephone. Sadly, no such luck. Now, Demeter spends so long wandering, looking for Persephone, that she then neglects her duties as a fertility goddess. So plants wither, crops fail, and famine spreads across the land. Now, I should point out that Madeline Miller relates a version of the myth in which Demeter actually withholds her usual duties. So she's basically holding the world to ransom until Zeus finally decides to help. And personally, I like that version more, but never mind. Eventually, Helios, who drives the sun chariot, speaks up and he tells them, what's happened because he saw it all because obviously he drives a sun chariot over the world looks down sees what happens during the day Zeus obviously under pressure from Demeter and the rest of the gods it should be known then sends Hermes the messenger of the gods to the underworld to go and fetch Persephone back now at this point Miller points out that Hades is actually less villainous than the Greek gods because yes he has abducted someone but he had actually asked Zeus for a bride beforehand and it was Zeus who suggested Persephone and the abduction and I personally think that tells you a lot more about Zeus and even more about Hades so he's often portrayed as an evil god because he's in the underworld but you have to bear in mind that the underworld is not the same as hell so you can't really call Hades evil in the same way now the myths don't say a lot about how Persephone got on in the underworld there are a lot of discussions about the fact that people think Hades raped Persephone to make her his queen. Other people say that he largely left her alone and was trying to work out how to win her love. It's not my place to say either way. The point is he abducts her against her will and takes her to the underworld against her will. We also have to remember at this point that Hades was actually Persephone's uncle because not only was Hades a brother to her mother Demeter, he was also brother to her father Zeus. So yes, her father actually gives him permission to abduct Zeus's daughter. Hopefully you got that. Anyway, how can Hades persuade her to stay? And this is an interesting bit, I think, because a lot of the stories of other gods, they just basically force themselves on the female characters. And in this case, Hades actually seems to want Persephone to love him. And this is where the myths do vary. In some of them... He goes to see her. She's obviously quite miserable, as you would be. And he gives her a pomegranate as a peace offering. And she agrees to eat some of the seeds. In some of the myths, she eats six. In others, it's only one. 
But again, there are other myths that say that she's basically wandering in the underworld and she finds the pomegranate and she eats it because she presumably really likes pomegranates and is hungry. Now, this is where there's a bit of a loophole and it's problematic that she ate the pomegranate because Hades then allows Hermes to take Persephone back to Olympus and Demeter is absolutely overjoyed to be reunited with her, as you can imagine. But there's a problem. Ancient laws that governed even the gods dictated that because Persephone had eaten food in the underworld, she had to stay there. Similar laws also govern the land of fairy, so if you eat or drink anything while you're there, you're basically stuck there. And if this type of folklore appeals to you, you might enjoy my ghost novel, The Stolen Ghosts, which plays with the idea of two realms and being stuck in one or the other, depending on what you eat. That is my cheeky plug for this week. Anyway, Zeus decided on a compromise because he had to obey the ancient laws and keep his sister Demeter happy. So in some myths, Persephone had to stay in the underworld for six months because she ate six pomegranate seeds. And in others, she spends a third of the year in the underworld thanks to the single seed that she ate. Either way, it gives rise to the seasons with autumn and winter setting in whenever Persephone returns to Hades and then we get spring and summer when she comes back. Many of the retellings of the myth do focus on her abduction, which is obviously the part that we just went through. And plenty of fan fiction explores this supposed eternal romance between Hades and Persephone. But what actually happened once Persephone became queen of the underworld? And the GreekMythology.com website actually compares Persephone to Hera, Queen of Heaven. Now, as Zeus's consort, Hera didn't really have a great deal of direct authority, but Persephone, by comparison, holds regal responsibility, and she wields this authority quite well, often making decisions around mortals who end up in the underworld. So, take the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice as an example. The unfortunate Eurydice is bitten by a snake on her wedding day and dies, so she must relocate to the underworld. And distraught at losing his wife just hours into their marriage, Orpheus ventures after her and begs Hades to release her. Hades isn't massively sold on the idea because he did gain the soul of Eurydice fair and square. But Persephone is impressed by Orpheus's love for his wife, so she intercedes to allow Eurydice to be allowed to return to the world of the living. There is just one condition. Orpheus must leave the underworld and not look back, even for a second, until he's back out in daylight and just trust that Eurydice is following him. And if he does this, Eurydice will be restored to him. Orpheus can't believe his luck, but he also can't follow instructions. And just as he's about to leave the underworld, he glances back and then loses Eurydice forever. There's also the myth of Sisyphus. And in this one, Hades leaves the underworld and he leaves Persephone in charge, because that's, that's what she's for. And Sisyphus ends up in the underworld and presents himself as quite a very sorry version of his former self. If you're interested in this one, I highly recommend Mythos by Stephen Fry because he tells it in full. But Sisyphus tricks Persephone, telling her that his wife hasn't observed the correct funeral arrangements because even worse, his wife has been insulting Persephone. The Queen of the Underworld wants to smite this mere mortal, as in Sisyphus's wife, but Sisyphus actually says, hang on a minute, what better punishment for my wife than to have to live out the rest of her years with me still alive? So Persephone goes, aha, I like your plan, and sends him back to the living, where he then happily reunites with his wife. And he is later punished for several attempts to trick the gods and basically spends eternity trying to roll a rock up a hill. And in addition, a lot of the Greek myths actually deal with tales of Zeus's infidelity. 
and Persephone, on the other hand, had no such problems. The GreekMythology.com website does cite the tale of the nymph Mintha, theorising that she was actually Hades' lover before Persephone arrived. And Mintha boasted that she was better looking and that Hades would come back to her. Persephone, understandably annoyed, turns her into a plant, i.e. mint, to prevent this from happening. And interestingly, the ancient Greeks actually left mint with their dead, so Mintha ended up with Hades anyway. Now, I did hear an alternate version in which Mintha attracted the unwanted attentions of Hades, so to help preserve her innocence, Persephone turned her into the mint plant, but I'll leave it up to you which version you prefer. So what do we make of Persephone here in these different versions of her? Now, Miller makes a point that Persephone is usually portrayed as a passive victim in the abduction story because, you know, she's one minute she's just out picking flowers, the next minute she's being abducted, possibly raped, and is now stuck in the underworld with someone that she didn't ask to be there with. But, as Miller says, the goddess is then also a dual character because she's both queen of the dead and bringer of spring. But this is what makes her quite an interesting figure in her own right because she actually really steps up to rule the underworld, which I would imagine is quite a grim and forbidding place. And as Miller says, Persephone helped make death a little bit more merciful and gave it a more human face compared to Hades. Much of the criticism of the Persephone myth is that she's actually often just seen as an extension of Demeter, and in the Homeric hymns, she's referred to as Kor, or Maiden, a word that Tamara Aga Jaffa explains is actually highly generic and could just refer to anyone. So essentially, at this point, she hasn't even really got an identity of her own. She's just this beautiful maiden, so she's kind of a bit of a placeholder rather than a person. And Aga Jaffa actually notes that in these versions of the myth, she only gets the identity of Persephone once she becomes the queen of the underworld. It's just a shame that she has to experience terror and violence before she finally becomes a someone. I should also point out, it's quite interesting to note that in the Homeric hymn, Persephone calls to Zeus for help, not Demeter. And obviously Zeus ignores her because he was in on it to start with. But Demeter is the one to swing into action anyway. Now, scholars will point to Persephone as essentially being an object, where she's a subject that's passed between men, Zeus and Hades, without the consent of Persephone or Demeter. And it's even a male god, Hermes, who sent to fetch her. Now, I must admit this point would actually make sense because one of Hermes's jobs was to escort important souls to the underworld. So if you're going to send anyone to the underworld, you might as well send someone who knows the way. And I'm, I'm not going to lie, the feminist readings of the myth really do lie beyond the scope of this podcast because we're talking about folklore and mythology. I just want to have a look, obviously, at some of the myths and what they might represent. But I do think some of the stuff around the abduction of Persephone does make some of the fan fiction a little bit suspect, to say the least. But there is a lot of strength to Persephone that I do think that we can appreciate as spring is springing, essentially. And there are other interpretations of her. Holly Virginia Blackford likens the emergence of Hades in Persephone's life as being the point when girls, and I quote, awaken the demon of artistry within, end quote, and the underworld therefore becomes the creative unconscious. So here, Persephone's descent into and return from the underworld basically becomes symbolic of the creative process. And I quite like this version because it does mean that there's a space for female creativity in and of themselves. So they're not just simply making things for home furnishings, they're actually going through their own internal underworld to express themselves and how they feel. So I quite I quite like that one. 
Now, Aga Jaffa does note that the loss of the name Kaur indicates the loss of her status as a maiden, hence the rape idea, but it does also lead to the adoption of the name Persephone, and she doesn't just change from maiden to woman, she actually changes from maiden to queen, and she ends up with the authority and respect that she didn't get when she was just simply Kaur the maiden. And in the Homeric hymns, it's Hades who actually reminds her how much power she's going to have as his queen before she goes back to Demeter and Mount Olympus. And Aga Jaffa points out that Persephone doesn't jump for joy when she hears Demeter's coming for her. No, no. She only jumps for joy after Hades reminds her about this power, which I think does add a bit of depth to Persephone, because she's finally realised she's not just Demeter's daughter. She actually has an independent identity of her own. And also, I should point out, we generally only hear about Persephone's exploits in the underworld once she becomes Hades' wife. We don't really hear a lot about what she does back in the world of mortals. So I'm assuming she continues her work alongside Demeter to bring back spring and help with the harvest, but that's deemed less interesting than her decision-making and responsibility as a queen. She does become part of the Eleusian Mysteries with Demeter, but other than that, a lot of the times when she pops up in the myths, it's as Queen of the Dead. And I think that's for a large part why Persephone has become so popular now, because the idea of this female descent into and return from the underworld does appear quite a lot in popular culture. So Holly Blackford points at Ginny Weasley in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. There's Coraline in Coraline. And even Bella Swan in Twilight, which are all modern examples. And if you're interested in retellings of the Persephone myth, Vera Nazarian wrote the Cobweb Bride trilogy, and that's one of my favourites. And Persephone is a reminder that, yes, we can quite literally go to hell and back, but we can still wield our own power and our independence as we do so. She represents duality in a literal way, because she might be the queen of the dead, but she also brings back spring and new life to the world, and she basically lights everything up for us. So instead of representing binary options like good, bad, aggressive, passive, as some of the other deities do, Persephone shows that you can actually be both at the same time. I would be fascinated to know what you make of the Persephone myth, if you have an opinion at all. I would like to hear it, so please feel free to tweet me at Icy Sedgwick or send me a message on Instagram or any of the usual stuff, and that would be grand. I do want to point out as well that obviously if you sign up as a patron of the podcast to help me essentially make this because the money that I get from Patreon pays for things like web hosting and my email marketing and all the stuff that I need to have in the back end in order to actually put the podcast out there. If you subscribe at the $2 a month price point, then you do get all the posts per month as like a downloadable PDF with clickable links and all that kind of stuff. But if you subscribe at the $4 a month, you also get an exclusive podcast episode on top of the pdf and this month it's going to be on the winchester house and the ghosts and hauntings and so on around that so if that is something that tickles your fancy then that is what is coming next week for my patreon subscribers you can also subscribe just for a dollar just to kind of you know have the warm and fuzzies to let you know that you're helping me make this but if you can't subscribe i totally understand at the moment so if that is you then please feel free to just simply recommend it to other people share the YouTube links because it is on YouTube as well, tell people about it, all that kind of thing. And that is still absolutely invaluable and I totally appreciate it as well. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode on Persephone. We are going to round out April next week with April showers and other weather superstitions and so on. So that should be interesting because we should be able to try some of them out and see if they actually work. 
So feel free to come back for that next week and then we'll move on to make a month in May. So I hope you all stay safe, wash your hands, just be well and I'd love to see you all back here next week for another episode of Fabulous Folklore. Cheerio!